we all know Daniel in the Lion's Den from the children's story that it is, and it is a great story um, as, as we learn as children, and you know they've got the veggie tale, which is so fun, but really when you dig in, and I know y'all had this in your small groups, but there's so many life lessons that we can learn as adults, and so let's talk about some of those this morning. My two main topics that I want to talk about are just that how God is glorified, even in the midst of adversity, and we see that when um, just how, how glorified he is at the end of the story, and also um, I want to also talk about the seven, hi- seven habits of highly effective Daniel, and how we can learn to put these things into practice in our own lives. So we look at chapters, uh, we st- chapter 6, and we look at verses 1 through 6, where we start out where his co-workers, the ones in the film, uh, maybe don't have his best interest at heart, and they develop a plot against Daniel. Then in, cha- in uh, verses 10 through 18, Darius the king is trapped and to, because of his pride, and he reluctantly punishes Daniel. And then in verses 19 through 24, Daniel's rescued, and his accusers suffer. And then in 25 through 28, Darius the king, again, his decree for all to fear and revere God. And so our theme today is that God is glorified even in the midst of adversity and even when we're in the pit. And so we're going to talk about that in a little bit. We know from this chapter that there's new leadership in the country and Darius. And scholars tell us that this new leader wants to put his own, say, cabinet members in, which most leaders would want to do. They want to choose people who are people that would do well and would be trustworthy and bring in their own people. And so we see that today in businesses, in government, in churches and schools. People want to get in a position of authority and they want to bring in their own people. And so who wouldn't want to surround themselves with people that they pick, right? So we know that the king appoints three new leaders, one of whom was Daniel. So Daniel must have had a reputation for this this king to even know who he was. And by now Daniel's about 80 and... um, so we know, we know that there's also a problem in the midst of this and that the other two leaders, um, they want to elevate themselves. And so we saw in the movie, they thought about tie him up and throw him out and beat him up and do all kind of bad things. So, and we find in, in human nature today also that the best way for us to elevate ourselves when we're in the flesh and we're thinking about ourselves is to cut down someone else. And so the problem was that Daniel was such a man of great character that, which we'll all look, which we'll look at in a minute, but they had trouble pinpointing something. Um, in in which negative to shine light so that they could bring him down. And so they made up the new law, which you talked about, and that anybody who worshipped anybody but the king would be thrown into the lion's den. So just like we know from the children's story. The problem was that this law from the Medes and the Persians couldn't be revoked. And so we see in um, Esther 8.8 how, um, and this straight from scripture, it says, Now write another decree in the king's name in behalf of the Jews as seems best to you and seal it with the king's signet ring for no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. And so when somebody signed a a law, there was no changing it. There was no um, appeal or veto or anything like that. So Daniel knew that he had been framed. He knew it and he had already been praying three times a day facing Jerusalem and he didn't wait for the trial to begin before he adopted this new behavior. So I think that's something we can learn is that it, he didn't wait for the fire or for the trial or for the bad thing to happen, then all of a sudden go, I got to get with my relationship with the Lord. He had it going. He was steadfast. And um, he, didn't, he didn't just be, begin to get serious about prayer. It was such a part of his life. And so um, back then, since Daniel was a high leader, he would have had a home, maybe high up on a hill, they say, from some of the commentaries. Um, probably the room he had had small windows in it for ventilation since there wasn't any air conditioning. And it was probably high up to also to protect him from robbers. So um, he may have even been out on a roof when, when he did his praying. But it, so he wasn't in front of the town square praying where they would be able to see him. 
so that those framing him were very deliberate in what they did. They, it wasn't like they just happened to see him doing this. They, they went and like spied him out to make sure that this happened. And um, when they found him, they would not have been just casually walking by because it was, it, they had to go to trouble to go and find him doing this. So when they caught him, they threw him in the lion's den because he was, he was doing the praying like he had always done. And, but the king, we learned that he didn't, he didn't want anything bad to happen to Daniel. So he prays to his God that he would get out of it and he hoped that he would be saved and um, we'll see what will happen. So we're going to look at Daniel's amazing character in the midst of all this and we're going to talk about the seven habits of highly effective Daniel. Um, so the first of these is that he was such a man of integrity. And so my question to you would be, who, is, who are you when no one is watching? Who are you when you're, um, are you the same talking to your children as you are in your Bible study group? Um, we knew that the leaders knew not to tempt Daniel with breaking the law because they knew his character. They didn't waste their try- time trying to come up with some, some, way, some way to tempt him or to make him fall because they knew that he was such a man of integrity. He stood firm. And when he heard the decree, he didn't question or worry. He already knew his decision. He didn't waver. He didn't hear it and go, oh, what should I do? What should I? I mean, he, he, it didn't change one thing about him. He was steadfast and he was a man of integrity. He did not blend in with the world. And he wasn't absorbed in the world. He did what he knew to be right. And Daniel 6, 4 tells us, At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So that is amazing. And when we think about being corrupt, that would be doing something that's wrong or negligent, not doing something that you know to be right. And he was neither of those. He was a man of honor. He was a man of integrity. He was not sinless, and we know that because only Christ was, but he was law-abiding, and his first allegiance was to God. Um, He was a man that was the same in private as he was in public. So I would ask you, um, who are you when no one is watching? Are you the same? Do you exhibit the same behavior in your home as you do outside of your home? Um, do you be, would you exhibit the same behavior if you were at the grocery store with Todd Wagner behind you and you were mad at the clerk or would you, would you act differently? So who are you? What kind of integrity do you have? Um, the second characteristic of Daniel is that he was a man of prayer. And I mean, we could do the whole thing on prayer. I just love that he was such a man of prayer. And we know that at the time, the temple that had been built by Solomon was in ruins and that Babylon had torn it down. He was in captivity and um, when the temple had been built, it was not, they didn't, the people didn't believe that it contained God, but they believed that it was a place where God chose to make his presence known and the people could worship him. And, um, and now it had been torn down. But Daniel would still turn to the city and three times a day longingly plead for God to continue on with his promises and, and fulfill um, what he had said he would do. And Psalm 55, 17 tells us, Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. So Daniel's praying was business as usual, not anything unusual. In fact, we see in Scripture that Scripture tells us to pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. And it didn't say teach without ceasing. It didn't say give advice without ceasing. It didn't say go to meetings without ceasing. It says to pray without ceasing. And we also see in Second Chronicles that if they turn their back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their captivity where they were taken and pray toward the land you gave their fathers, so he's praying toward Jerusalem, toward the city you have chosen and toward the temple I have built for your name, then from heaven your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their pleas and uphold their cause. And so that's what Daniel was doing. He was praying for the Lord to fulfill his promises. He was interceding for his people and asking for deliverance. So I would ask you, when you have something to pray about, do you pray first 
Or do you make about seven phone calls and ask everyone their opinion and what do you think and this bad thing's happening to me? Or do we turn to the Lord first? And so um, Daniel was a man of prayer, and I would call us to be the same. The next quality or characteristic that makes Daniel so highly effective is that he is a man of faith. And we know from Hebrews 11, it, says, it tells us that now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And so we see Daniel's hope is that his nation would ultimately be freed. And what he didn't see, but he was certain of, is that God would be faithful and fulfill his promises. So he was a man of faith. He had walked with God more than 80 years. And um, it also talks about later down in Hebrews, it, it specifically talks about Daniel when it says... Um, Let's see, starting in 32, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. So he was in the hall of faith here with these others because he walked with God and he believed God for what he said he would do. So I would ask you, do you operate in faith? or in fear, in your flesh or in the spirit. And, God, and Daniel was definitely a man of faith. He believed God to, at his word that he would do what he said he would do. So that's our third habit of highly effective Daniel. Our next habit would be that Daniel is a man of courage. And we can see that this ritual that he did by praying three times a day, it did not waver when he heard about the law. He didn't, he didn't wonder about whether he should do it or should he change in any way? Should he now do it in secret or should he try not to draw attention to himself? He knew who to obey and he knew whom to fear. And we can see that really we should have fear of God, but not fear of man. And so he had the correct fear, the appropriate fear. Psalm 27, 1 tells us, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? And this could be a life verse for all of us because fear in itself is not what's wrong. It's fear of the wrong thing. When we fear God, that's appropriate. When we fear man, that's where we go wrong. Joshua 1.9 tells us, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will go with you wherever you go. And I love that verse. I think that is also such a great one when we do begin to fear man or fear our circumstances that we know that God is with us. Don't be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. Strong in the Lord, that is. And be courageous because of what he can offer us. And Acts 5.29 reminds us, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than man. And that is, that's, that's the tough one because so many times we want to follow what the world says and be comfortable with that and not be worried about what people think or be worried about what people think and, and think that God will forgive us. And that's not what we are called to do. So he didn't hide his praying. He did it three times a day, the same as he had always done. Um, in Daniel 6.10, we read, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows, with the windows open toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. I love that clause, just as he had done before. This wasn't new. This wasn't a new habit that he's trying to, oh my goodness, I better get right with God. He had already, he was ready for the fire. He was ready for the trial. He didn't change a thing. He didn't change his behavior. He didn't try to hide his behavior. And um, it, it serves him well, as we will see. So Daniel was a man of courage. This the um, fourth habit of highly effective Daniel. The next habit, the fifth habit, is that he was a man of conviction. And we see this. The front of our book says, um, be resolved or something along those lines, that when, the, when uh, the law came into effect, he wasn't sitting around trying to decide what to do. He already had the conviction of what was right, who to follow. He wasn't following man. 
he knew to follow God. The new law did not cause him to waver, wonder, or pause for what to do. He was a man of conviction, and he knew, he knew what to do. What, he knew how to make it right. His surroundings did not alter him. In fact, he altered his surroundings. So by following God and by doing what was right, he was able to change people around him instead of him conforming to the world's standards. And he was also secure in his choices. It would have been so easy for him to somehow change what he was doing in order to try to get, a, get away with it or for maybe people wouldn't notice or he could have done it more quietly. But he was a man of conviction and knew who his, who his conviction was, tr- was to. He was convicted and he was obedient and um, he was not doing any of this in his own strength. And so he was convicted or had strong conviction towards the Lord and to do what was right. Um, he, in the, our sixth habit of highly effective Daniel is that he was a man who relied on God's strength. And I was um, so privileged to get to go to Africa a few weeks ago, and I saw this in the people. They didn't have material position, possessions. They didn't have power or position. They didn't, but yet the, the Lord was their strength. The joy of the Lord was their strength. And we see this in Daniel. He didn't ask of what man, he didn't ask man to do what only God could do. There I am with my bad hair in Africa. <laughs> but it was, so, it was so cool. These people, they had the joy of the Lord. They had the Lord as their strength, and that's all. They didn't have anything else to make them powerful or strong, but they had the joy of the Lord. They had God's strength, and, that, and they knew that. They, they were confident in that, and the, it was just so evident on their faces and the way they lived that God was their strength. And I think sometimes in America, in Dallas, Texas, sometimes we want our strength to come from other things. We want to come, have strength come from who we know or what we have or what we do or our position. And, and over there, there's, there's, no, there's no way to mask relying on God's strength, and um, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, so we see that Daniel uh, was a man who relied on God's strength, and um, uh, they have a wonderful community and other believers in our lives have a great place, and they can bring us strength, but really we can't ask of man only things that God can do. And so, you know, we see this in Daniel, that he relied on God's strength. He wasn't worried about what the world thought or what other people thought of him, that he knew, he knew who to get his strength from. And so I would ask you, what about you? Do you ever turn to a friend for something that we need to turn to God to? Again, that could be the prayer thing. Or do you ever rely on your own strength to get a job done or a situation rather than relying on God's strength? And sometimes that means waiting for his perfect timing. And um, so Daniel was a great representative of relying on God's strength. And the last quality of Daniel, the seventh habit, is that he was a man who gave God the glory. In Daniel 6.21, we see that Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Um, Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. And so he gave God the glory. He knew who rescued him. And I think that um, we've learned that these seven habits of Daniel, the thing that weaves them all together, it was that Daniel was really not the main thing. God was. He yielded to the Spirit of God. And so Daniel was a man of, we learned, integrity. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of faith. He was a man of courage, conviction. He relied on God's strength, and he gave God the glory. So he was not operating in his own flesh or his own strength. He yielded to God. And so we can learn, in contrast, Darius, of course, we saw that he was prideful and that he acted in haste. And we find who was really in control, though. Daniel Darius may have thought he was in control, but in, in truth, God was. 
and we know that God has our days in his control. Psalm 139.16 tells us, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So Darius may have thought that he was in charge, but really we know who is, and it's God. And also, Genesis 50.20 tells us that you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So again, we see that God can work anything. And I love um, I love to think about that Daniel was such a man of great character um, so that the God is the God of the universe who's in control. He's utterly sovereign for those who love him. And so we see that he's creative. God is creative. He is powerful. He could have saved Daniel from entering the lion's den. He could have done that. I know the law said with the signet ring that the law couldn't be changed, but let's face it, God can do anything, right? And so we, we think that, you know, well, he was kind of backed into a corner. Well, you know, God is never backed into a corner. So he lets him go into the pit, and we see what happens, right? That God rescues him. And the story, God would still be good even if he hadn't rescued him. And his plan still would have, would have gone forth because, because he's that big. But I think it's so cool to think that God allowed him to go through this so that when he was taken out, we know that the only way this happened was through God's strength and God's glory. And he was glorified even more by allowing him to go through that trial. And we see this back in Lazarus when, when he got sick and the sisters asked Jesus to come. And they said, please come, our you know, brother's so sick. And he kind of, what they would call tarries before he gets there, and then Lazarus is dead. And so they're so sad. And then, and then Jesus rises him from the dead. And because of that, because he allowed him to go into the pit, because of that, God is even more glorified when Lazarus is raised from the dead. And in this story, the same thing. God is even more glorified in the midst of this adversity because he allowed him to go into the pit and then raised him up. There was no question. There were no tricks. There were no, you couldn't call it a coincidence. You couldn't call it, um, you know, the law or any, or any human action. God was more glorified by Daniel going to the pit. And so I would just say that sometimes when we're in that in-between time, we're in the pit and we, don't, we, we know in our minds that God will be glorified, but we're not really feeling it yet. Do you ever feel like that? You're in the pit, and you're not, you know he's going to do something great. You know he's going to, but you're just still in the pit. And, but you can, have, you, know, you can rest in knowing that the Lord will be more glorified in allowing this to happen. And um, sometimes he's, he blesses us by allowing us to see that at the end of the story. And my mom died when I was only 24. And I was so sad. It was such a very difficult time. I was asking why me. I hadn't had my children. I was barely married. It just seemed so unfair. And I was in such a pit. And I just, you know, I'm me. I'm so pitiful. And everything is so bad. But, and I was, I was in that time, in that icky in-between stage. And it wasn't an overnight deal like Daniel. It was a long, you know, it was a long time of really feeling like, why did this happen? But now I can look back and see God had me in the pit so that he could be glorified greater. And, in, and some things that happened in that is that as a result, we built a little guest house for my dad. He lived in there for 13 years with us. We had great blessings with him. We were able to care for him at the end of, at the end of his years. In the meantime, having a great time with him. He had dinner with us every night. We just, it was a really a blessing that we wouldn't have had him with us had my mom, had my mom not been with us. And so, it, um, and then it got hard. So I was out of the pit and I could see, well, this was such a blessing to have him with me. Then he started to get sick and his care was greater and it was hard. And again, I was back in the pit. And then after he passed away, you know, it was, it was still very, very sad, totally different stage of life for me. But I did have the privilege of getting to care for him, which was, which was great. And now I get the privilege of, care, of sharing a little newsletter with people who care for their parents because I was in the pit and then I was able to be taken out. And God is even more glorified than if I hadn't gone through those trials. And the same thing happened with my son. 
in college. We, we grew up Longhorns. He wore orange his whole life. And then he didn't get into Texas, just barely missed it. And we were so, so sad. And again, just like, we are back in the pit. But now, he's a ha- he went to another school for one semester. That didn't work out. We were still in the pit. And now he's at a school that he loves, and he's so happy. He's got a wonderful Christ-like girlfriend, and we're so happy. And so, you know, we can see these ups and downs of how the Lord allows us to go through the pit, but it's because he can be more glorified. And we really, I mean, most of the time, my prayer would be, just don't let me even go into the pit. Surely you can find a way to glorify yourself without having that happen. But really, when, we're, when he, will, he will allow us to go in it so that he can be more glorified. And a lot of times we have that head knowledge. We know I know the story is going to end up well. Even if, even if somebody dies or even if something bad happens, God is going to do, make a wonderful story out of this. So when we're in that icky in-between pit stage, having that head knowledge really does help. And sometimes he allows us the privilege of being able to get out of the pit and still see how he himself were glorified. So when I think about the seven habits and the things that we talked about today, if I were out there, I'd be thinking, okay, I am going to go home and I am going to put on some of these things. I am going to put on um, courage, and I'm going to be courageous, and I'm going to do it. It's on my list, and I'm going to have this quality, so I'm going to put it on. And then I would think, and you know what? I am going to put on prayer. I'm just going to start praying all the time. I'm going to put on another layer, and I'm going to put that on, and I'm going to do it because it's on my list. And then I would think, I am also going to have integrity, by golly, and I'm going to put on a layer of integrity. I'm going to do it because I wrote this down in Bible study. (laughs) And she said it. But look what happens to me. When I put, and there's more, but put, when you put on all these things, I can't move. I can't, I'm not free. I'm, I'm cumbersome and I'm burdened and these are things I can't do. And so I would encourage you today is when you put on Christ or you yield to Christ, it's like wearing a windbreaker. And we know that windbreakers are light, and they still protect us from the elements. And we can move, and we can be ourselves, but we are yielded to Christ, and we are yielded to his spirit. And we're not trying to put on a bunch of layers and put on something that we can't do for more than five minutes in our flesh. But we still have the protection, and we still have the lightweight Um, of Christ in us by yielding to his spirit. And so I encourage you today to go home, think about those those qualities of Daniel and how highly effective he was, but not to try to do it in your own flesh, to yield to the spirit as Daniel did, because it's not about us, it's about him. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time this morning, Lord. And we thank you that this is not just a children's story. It's a story that we can learn from through many different ways. And we see how Daniel was so yielded to you that he was able to have these highly effective habits. But it wasn't about him. It's about you as it is today, Lord. And we just thank you that you can be glorified in the midst of our adversity. And may we trust in you when we're in the pit, knowing that you have a greater purpose for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.